I want to make a general comment about singing from someone who doesn't sing well, <laughs> but who appreciates the beauty of music. As I watch these YouTube videos um, from these congregations on some of the islands and other places of full churches singing the psalms, and sometimes you had the ones when it was what we would call call and response, or you would line it, and somebody then the people respond. You know, you've got a variety of ways that people sing the psalms in the highlands. And one of the things that, I mean, there's several things that it struck me. One is how much it truly is congregational singing. It is all of the people. And I imagine it's because that's what they have grown up with. That was their expectation of their experience of church in worshiping God. Now, another thing which is a, what I call a cultural contrast and as we were singing Psalm 121, when you sing at a slower rate, and the emphasis is more on the words than on the music, I think there's something very powerful in that, because in the slowness it makes you think about what you are singing. And I think that that is, is valuable. And so as I learn more about singing psalms here and all the things that go on, I just, it's, uh, it, to me it's kind of an exciting thing because I think that sometimes when you are in your own little world, you don't realize what's out there, what other people are doing. I mean, one of the things I think about when I'm here is that in different countries in Africa, there are more Presbyterians worshiping God today than there are in Scotland. I mean, you know, we, we know that God is at work among his people globally. Um, and so I would just say, say that. Now, this gets me into my, my introduction. Um, this Sunday and next Sunday because the, the text is interwoven, what ties them together between the gate and the shepherd is the idea, what Jesus describes as a character trait of his sheep, is that they know and listen to the voice of the shepherd. That's a common thing in the first verses that we'll be looking at today and then in what we'll be looking at next week. Now, there was an article about something that is kind of a hot topic because it, it affects all of us, and that's fake news. When people create deliberate distortions so that they are divisive and destructive, And what newspaper people are desperately trying to figure out is how do we get people to believe that we're telling the truth? And what they're saying is that it is going to move from beyond the information age 
to the authenticity of the author. In other words, the author's reputation more than the institution they represent will speak to the reliability. The second part of that is the source. Where does the information come from? How valid is that information? Because we know and we have seen there are some spectacular examples. Somebody took artificial intelligence and went and took images of President Obama and made him give a speech like Donald Trump would give a speech. But you couldn't tell it when you looked at it because they were able to distort it. Now, in a pub in Glasgow, I forget the name of it, to advertise and get people ready for the new season of Westworld, and I realize that there may be nobody in here has ever watched that, but it is an American, I think it's HBO show, that is about an entertainment world where people can go and interact with robots because they have advanced artificial intelligence and you can kill them and do all kinds of horrible, evil things to them. That's one of the things about it is how people abuse power when they have it for entertainment. But what they did was they took one of these robots and fashioned it after a real man. And so you had the robot with the artificial intelligence sitting there at the table in, in there, and then you had the man that it represented. And people could come and sit down and have a conversation before they would tell them that this is a robot. And then to make it even more weird or strange, because remember, this is for a commercial. People would come and sit down, and just the robot would be there, and you could ask the robot questions, and the robot would look at you, and it would blink appropriately, move its hands, you know, do all of these things. But it wasn't a real person, and it was a while before that people would come and say, do you realize you're talking to a robot? So figuring out what's true and what's false, how do we get our information that we base our decisions on? There was an article this morning that Facebook is desperately working to make sure, because my impression is, I'm not sure if it's just in England or across Britain, there are going to be local elections coming up. And they're trying to figure out how to make sure that Facebook is not sponsoring anything that's false for that. Because what we're realizing is that there are people from the village level all up to the national level who will use false news to divide and destroy, to try to figure out how to sway an election. And so it's, it's like, how do we know what's true? Now, in this text, both with the, the gate and with the shepherd next week, knowing that it is Jesus Christ and accepting him is the one you listen to, that that is a sign of who follows Jesus Christ, is someone who listens to his voice. Now, in the first century, when the church was coming of age and growing, you know, it was also in the age of these very powerful emperors. And these were emperors who used religion 
to both persuade and try to unite their political and economic power in the empire. Remember how Jesus was put to death because he claimed to be the son of God and the Jews just couldn't have that and the Romans couldn't have that. Because the Romans had been exposed to some of these strange ideas because Julius Caesar and Mark Anthony both had had long-term affairs with Cleopatra who thought of herself as a god and introduced them to incarnation so that they could see themselves not as becoming gods when they died, which is what happened to Augustus, but being gods while they were alive. And so you had basically what we would think of as this fake news of this cultural creation coming out of Egypt into Rome that a powerful person could become a god, could be a god. And here you have Jesus Christ who is revealing himself as a gate, as a shepherd, as a servant, as light, as, as bread. And saying, I am. The gate. We think about creation, fall, and redemption, and that's something that I often will run through my sermons through. And when I look out at creation, it's, you know, we are to go out and we are to listen. We are to listen to the voice of God through the word of God. But the fall has created a culture that is there to steal and kill and destroy. Redemptively, we enter by following Christ, by entering through the gate. And then life is restored in a way that I came that they may have life and that they may have life abundantly. That's why Christ came, was to give us life. So I want to look at three things, basically. In this text, you have an exploration and observations about the opposition that is probably the most detailed that we have in, in places when Christ is talking about himself. Then you have the basic, I am the door. What does that mean universally? What does that mean in terms of God's people? And then how do we enter into a relationship with him? Because in this passage, he is again, remember how when we ended up with the light, many people believe? Well, Jesus wants people to believe when he is speaking to them. Now, the opposition. Remember I said that it is probably the most detailed he starts off not talking about himself, but talking about the opposition in verse 1. I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs over by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Remember how Vicky said, you know, if she was going to have kids be the stones, and then you had some be the sheep, and they go in and out. That there was one way to go in and out. There are people who try to hop the fence, who try to come in and, and steal. That are thieves and robbers. And I was thinking, what, what jumps into our lives to steal, to rob us? 
when I was thinking about my own life, one of the things I believe is, and see, I don't think it's new to us. I think if you went back to Jesus' time or if you went back to 2000 B.C., people could still get distracted. Distraction steals a lot of my time. It's so easy to get a thought or something. I don't even have to even be in front of a screen. And all of a sudden, you're, you're off. You're thinking about something else. I mean, you, sometimes you have trouble reading books because the author engages you in such a way and paints, paints such an awesome word picture that instead of going on with the author, you go on with your, your story from the, the story. You're thinking about, oh, what about this? What about that? You're almost rewriting what you're reading because it's easy to be distracted. Now, is that necessarily wrong? No. But there are times in our lives where we need to be able to focus. Think about at the end of the day and you look back and you see how you spent your time. <coughs> um, I have gotten so that I have to set alarms, whether it's on my computer, on my phone, so that I know that, hey, I need to stop and refocus, I need to stop and, and to go do something else. Because it's so easy to get distracted in time and not move on to what I need to be doing. Now, the other thing that Jesus writes about is the stranger they will not follow. Now, who's the stranger in our lives? Oftentimes, isn't it something new? Something flashy, something cutting edge, you think about all the words that are used to describe what you don't have, what I don't have. And what he, Jesus, is saying here is that they're not going to follow strange new ideas, words. That's one of the things that is very, I won't say offsetting to people, but when people find out that we believe that the word of God is there, that God has given us that so we can know Jesus Christ, so we can follow him, um, that we're not going to, we don't have to follow every new idea. We don't have to take the word of God and make it fit into our cultural setting, into our cultural time frame. See, that's one of the things is when you listen particularly when we listen to Jesus Christ, we listen to the word of God because God has sent him. Now, in verse 5 it says, the stranger they will not follow, they will flee from him, for they, know, they do not know the voice of the stranger. Verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. See, that's part of what defines Christianity, defines following Jesus Christ, is listening to him. We don't make him up. We don't create him in our image. We don't allow a strange teacher to make him in their image, in their idea, but rather we are willing to listen. 
And Jesus is very clear in this passage, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. See, what's the result of of, of fake news? It's division, it's destruction. It's an increase in violence because there's an increase in fear. There are real consequences to that thief who jumps over the wall, who doesn't come in through the gate. And in this passage, in these short verses, Jesus wants us to take very, very seriously what happens when we and our communities and our culture do not listen to the word of God. That we indeed are following that stranger, that thief, and that robber who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, when he says, I am the door, Notice it's, I am the door, it's not a door. That when we think about the sheep pen illustration, we think about the one door where they go in and out. And that the night the shepherd is that door. And that the sheep indeed hear their, or hear his voice. That's something he says four times. He wants us to know that an identifying mark of his sheep is hearing clearly and knowing that it is the voice of God. One of the affectionate things that he tells us, he calls his sheep by name. There is that personal connection with God. You know, for whatever reason, on some of the news that I see on television or on on the, the BBC website, you know, you see the sheep in there running around and they've all got their blue at least in the case of the story I was watching they got their blue number on them, their number you know it's, 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 it's kind of like in the highlands it's, 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 it's backwards from what I'm used to I'm used to having sheep have names and houses have numbers so here you've got houses have names and sheep have numbers but knowing that Jesus knows my name that I am not a number to him. That it's not just that I listen to him, but that he knows me. And that I can have that comfort in life and in death, in good times and bad times, when I'm healthy, when I'm sick, when I'm by myself, when I'm with loved ones, to know that God calls his own sheep by name. And that's in contrast to what a lot of people, because of the news, they feel like their life and their identity has been reduced to data. That I'm ones and zeros in somebody's server. But here is an illustration. And I think that's one of the reasons why God wrote the Bible in agricultural times, because it was so personal where a shepherd would know his sheep's name. He would know who they are. And so he says, I am the door of the sheep. And in saying that, he is offering himself as an entrance to come and to go, to be saved. Anyone that enters by me, 
that we truly can offer Jesus Christ as both the Lamb of God, the High Priest, all the things that he is, here the door, the way to get in. He offers that to us, to people who hear the word of God. Go in and out and find pasture. Both protection and and food. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Is what it says in verse 10 right after what we read. Because you see in verse 10 you have the contrast between the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You hear the contrast that Christ gives to us in this offer of the gospel, in this offer of himself, because when we say the offer of the gospel, we mean the offer of Jesus Christ to have a relationship with him. Because he came to do that. Now, when I preached this sermon to military students back in 2009. It's not quite 10 years. But there was this thing called iReligion. Because, you know, iPhones, iPads, all that was kind of new back in 2009. But basically what it was, was you could download what you like and use it as you will. In other words, it was an offer to create your own religion, your own view of the world, your own connections. That through technology, you could take control of your life and the world. Now, that lasted about three months. And then it just disappeared in terms of news stories. But when you look at verse 9, when Jesus says, I am the door, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. To see Christ as the way to life, the way to both community, because you recognize that you are in a flock of sheep. See, that was one of the things that when I, I forget how many stories I've told you about myself, but when I was in the ninth and 10th grade, I belong to an organization called the 4-H Clubs, and I raised sheep uh, because we lived on almost six acres of land, and we had a large pasture land that my father wanted kept low. So he said, Fred, I want you to raise sheep, and so we're going to go get some sheep. So we go off in the family station wagon, and we put the... the um, uh, Seats down to make this flat area, and we bring two sheep in. I'm sitting there holding on to their collars, and my father drives us home. And we put stakes to the ground, and we give tethers, and you know they start taking care of the grass. But I had to take them in and out every night and every day. And then we had, you know, baby sheep, and we had them sheared, and you know, in 4-H you kept a thing. And I, I, I think out of two years worth of labor, I made a total of thirty-six dollars in terms of profits. And most of that profits came from 
in this community we lived in in Connecticut, you could take them to um, county fairs where they'd have contests. And I'd never ridden a blue ribbon, but I always come home with, you know, second or third, which meant money. You know, and to a teenage kid, that was worth something, and, and that went into paying for the feed and all the other things, and then the sheep that I think, I mean, the shearing of the sheep, which I think we did two seasons of that, um, and then we were going to move, and so we put the sheep into the station wagon again and drove off and sold them to somebody else um, at the same price I bought them for, and, you know, that was my experience as a shepherd, but watching sheep. My sheep, I think, were extra specially dumb. <laughs> because I would put them out with these long 30-foot tethers, and when I came home from school on the bus, I had to go out because they had brown, you know, tied themselves up. Now, I wasn't their door, but I was their keeper. We'll talk about that next week. I have an affinity for these little furry animals that, you know, I look around here and I see all kinds of different kinds of sheep, at least I perceive them to be different. Yesterday we went out to get some things for our garden and we drove past very, uh, a large number of sheep places. Now, if you looked on Facebook and you saw that kind of romanticized sheep's gate that I put up the wooden thing with the stone fences, now, you still have your stone fences, but they're all, they're all metal, aren't they? The, most of the sheep's gates, they're, they're metal. But they're still there both to delineate, to protect, and to help identify. Because that's part of what happens is that the sheep's gate that protects from the thief and the robber, but it also identifies the sheep because they listen to his voice. <laughs> now, in following Jesus... It's not a checklist. It's listening to his voice. And that means we need to be willing to put the time in to read the Bible, to listen, to pray, to study. Study individually, study collectively. To know scripture. I think one of the greatest gifts my parents gave me, and you've heard this before, I think, is that my mother tells me by the time I was four, I heard the entire Bible read through. I was used to the language of the Bible. Now, at my age, having memorized so much Bible, oftentimes I will slip into what I memorized. In other words, the King James Bible. I will, that's what's the default in my head. Now, I've memorized both the NIV and the ESV and things like that. But I believe that there is great value in scripture memory so that at the spur of the moment you can listen to the word of God that you've put in your heart, you've put in your mind. You can listen to him. Because the world is going to be noisy and distracting and it's going to have false messages. Now, that's one of the things that in the Highlands when people sing and oftentimes, you know, when I was at the funeral service, I looked around, they're not looking at words, they got these words in their heart because they've been singing them for a generation. 
So having God's word in your heart so you can listen to him as part of your identification as a Christian. So that you do not create a false image of Jesus, but you create a true image of Jesus. Now, later on, and I haven't figured out where to put this in, I, along with some others, believe that oftentimes what is missing between reading the Word of God and praying is meditating. And by that, meditating, I mean chewing on the Word of God by heart. Thinking it through, getting you ready to pray. That oftentimes we leave that out and we go straight from reading the Bible to prayer without chewing on, without thinking through what we have read and listening. Because we know to listen means we've got to stop, we've got to pay attention. We've walked through the gate, but now we need to listen. And so next week as I continue in this chapter 10, we're going to talk more about listening to the Good Shepherd. Not listening to the thief who comes to kill and destroy. That we've come to follow, not to create. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us. We thank you, Father, for these words that, as Vicki pointed out, about being the gate, that you yourself are the gate. And so now, Father, as we go out into the world, we pray that we might have the opportunity to offer you the gospel. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.